You're listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. Well, amen. I want you to remain standing and take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark chapter 9. And as the kids are making their way, and thank you, Bethany, and for those that help in this ministry, we appreciate so much everything that they do. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Mark chapter 9, beginning at verse 14. I've titled this message today, When Your Faith Grows Tired. When your faith grows tired. Is your faith tired today? I want to say this. I want you to listen very closely, young people, all of you. Uh, This is an important part of the service. A lot of times, you know, young people, you start looking and smiling and whatever you're doing, and sometimes people get up during the invitation. They have to go to the bathroom. You get up. Once this part of the service begins, I need you to be attentive. I need you to listen. I need you to be respectful. And let me say this, if you can't, you're welcome to leave. You know, nobody forces you to be here. Uh, You can find a place out in the hallway and wait for your friends. But to me, there are people whose lives spiritually may be hanging in the balance right now. It may not even be anybody in this room. It may be somebody that's watching live stream right now, may watch this service later. So I need you to be attentive. And I want to ask you again, has your faith grown tired? Because that's what we have here today. We have a man that his faith, I believe, is tired. Now, in Mark chapter 9, beginning at verse 14, we looked at this last week. When they came to the other disciples, now remember Jesus, Peter, James, and John have been on the Mount of Transfiguration. They've been up there in a glorious divine tribunal, uh, a time when Elijah and Moses appeared with Jesus. And they've had this time together before Jesus goes to the cross. But when Jesus and Peter, James, and John, when they came to the other disciples, that's the nine disciples that are at the base of the mountain, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and they ran to greet him. What are you arguing about? Jesus asked. The man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that's robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth and he becomes rigid. I ask your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. The unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into convulsions. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. 
If you can, Jesus said. Everything is possible for him who believes. Do you believe that today? Everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, Now here's a tired faith. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said. I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoor, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come only by prayer. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you and we love you. We give you glory. and We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. When your faith grows tired, you know, you and I eventually sometimes will get in a place where we're suffering, where we're hurting, where we're in pain, when things seem to be going wrong in our life. Everything seems to be going wrong in our life. And a lot of times you and I, in those moments, our faith gets tired. Uh, we're like that man. Uh, we've been disappointed. We, we come to Jesus and we simply say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I'm struggling right now. You know, Henry Nowen, he, is, uh, he wrote a book called Turning My Mourning into Dancing. He said, we like easy victories, growth without crisis, healing without pain, a resurrection without a cross. But he went on to say this, I'm less likely to deny my suffering, my pain, when I learn how God is using it to mold me and to draw me closer to Christ. Think about that. I went on to write this. God was doing something in this father's life that would affect us 2,000 years later. We're still talking about it. This father's crisis of faith gives us hope. Does your crisis of faith give people hope? Lauren White and the whites over here have been dealing with a, a, a catastrophe. Sewage backed up into their home. They're going through this crisis right now, and it's been unbelievable. But Lauren said something to me Wednesday night. He came up to me afterwards, and Lauren is involved in an Islamic ministry where they're reaching out to the Muslim population. And here recently, they have hit some unbelievable victories. And Lauren came up to me and he said, you know, Brother Jeff, as soon as this happened and that happened, we were seeing major victories in the area of evangelism among the Muslim population. He said, this happened. And what he was saying, and it kind of awoke me to remind me that you and I have an enemy. And let me tell you, your enemy, Satan, is after your faith. You see, you can't be saved without faith. You can't please God without faith. Faith is critical to who you and I are. 
And so it would make sense that the enemy beats us up, gets us in a place of suffering and pain because he wants to diminish our faith or put our faith in a crisis. Isn't that what he wanted to do in Job's life? Didn't, he say, didn't Satan say to God, if you'll let me attack Job, take those blessings, begin to afflict him, he will curse you to your face. Remember that? And that's our enemy. C.S. Lewis said this in his book, The Problem of Pain. He said how, how hard it is to turn our thoughts to God, listen, when everything is going well. Let me repeat that. C.S. Lewis in his book, Problem of Pain, how hard it is to turn our thoughts to God when everything is going well. We have all we want is a terrible saying when all does not include God. And we find God to be an interruption. Pain changed this man's life, this dad. Pain changed his life. You ever notice something? You ever notice when you're hurting, when you're suffering, that the songs that you and I normally listen to, we start listening to the words? You know, I told Jeffrey, our worship leader, I said, I've noticed that when I'm suffering and when I'm hurting, the normal music that I listen, background music, maybe on a religious Christian station, all of a sudden I'm listening to the lyrics, hanging on every word. Why? Because I need it. Pain does that, doesn't it? A.W. Tozer said, I doubt God will use a man greatly, a woman greatly, until he breaks them deeply. You remember Jacob in Genesis chapter 32 when Jacob went to the Jabbok River and he was about to face his past. He was about to face his sin against Esau, the deception of stealing the birthright. You remember in that moment, the Bible said at the Jabbok, Jabbok River, he was alone and he wrestled with who? He wrestled with God. He wrestled with the angel of the Lord. He wrestled with the pre-incarnate Christ. And you remember that moment when he was clinging and he was hanging on because the angel of the Lord had dislocated his hip and he's hanging on like a toddler hanging on to their parent. And the angel of the Lord said, let me go. And Jacob said, I'll not let you go until you bless me. And the angel of the Lord said, what is your name? And you may say, that's not a blessing. Yes, it was. Because his name, he had lied to his father Isaac. He had lived a life of deception. He had deceived Laban. He had lived a life of deception. And God said, what is your name? It's not Esau. Your name is Jacob. You are a deceiver. You're underhanded. You're not who God intended you to be. But then he said, but I'm changing your name, and your name now will be called Israel. Sometimes pain does that. It breaks us. It causes us just to cling and to hang on when we're hurting. That was this dad. C.S. Lewis went on to make this statement. Well, Augustine, let me read a statement Augustine made. Augustine, St. Augustine said this. He said, listen to this. God wants to give us something but cannot because our hands are full. There's nowhere for God to put it. So he takes something we hold close, we even cherish in order to give us something better. 
Isn't that powerful? Pain, suffering sometimes is God causing you and I to just empty our hands because God wants to give us something else, something more. C.S. Lewis went on to make this statement about an airman friend, a, a, a pilot. He said, we regard God as an airman regards his parachute. It is there for emergencies, but he hopes he'll never have to use it. Isn't that sometimes the way we look at God? God is what we go to in a crisis, and if it's not a crisis, we don't even know God. That's what he was saying. So here's the reality of what pain does. Suffering, it naturally does something in us. And so last week we looked at this young man. He's possessed by a demonic presence. His life is controlled by an evil spirit that the father said seizes him. It throws him into the fire, throws him into the wood, and the father, into, the, into the fire, into the water. And the father said this, there's no communicating with him. I've lost the ability to communicate. He is a 24-7, 24 hours a day, seven days a week responsibility. And he would watch this son be seized and slam his skull against the pavement. And his life had been lived in bondage to a child that was breaking his heart. Is yours? I warned parents last week of the danger today that you as parents are facing. We're living in a day like we've never seen before. Drugs, alcohol, gambling, pornography, all kinds of addictions. Now we have gaming promoted by professional sports. We have binge gaming where people just spend hours and hours on video. This past week, after I warned you last Sunday, we had a young lady, what was her name? Audrey Hill, who listed both a female and a male name. She's from the trans community, 28 years old, went into a school, Covenant Presbyterian School, there in Nashville, Tennessee. She saw, shot three children, nine years of age, one of them being the pastor's child. Killed three children, killed three adults, the custodian a substitute teacher, and the principal of the school. Do you know what her parents said in an interview? They said that she would spend hours binging on video games. And many of those games are filled with violence. Reports say that people exposed to violent media report feeling more aggressive and less empathetic. A 2010 study, uh, and I thought this has been 13 years ago. You can imagine now. A 2010 study found that the exposure to violent games could increase aggressive thoughts and reduce pro-social thinking. According to the National Institute on Media and the Family, by the time, listen to this, by the time children reach high school, they have spent two times more hours watching television than they have spent in a classroom. Violent scenes in primetime TV has tripled in the last 20 years. My friend, I get sick and tired of the woke generation, Hollywood, and celebrities telling us what the problem is when the problem is coming out of Hollywood. 
The average American youth will witness, listen to this, 200,000 violent acts on television before the age of 18. COVID-19 pandemic has led to a significant increase in internet usage. It's gotten worse during COVID. 25% of study participants, and what particular study, who viewed the most media violence in childhood were most likely to be aggressive in adulthood. In 1950, 10% of the American population owned a TV. Today, 99% of American homes have a TV. Stanford University School of, of Medicine said boys who consistently play violent video games were more likely to become hostile, argue with their teachers, engage in fights, and were more likely to become hostile and become sexually active. Fox News, in an interview with a child psychologist speaking on Audrey L., made this statement, and they were trying to cut him off. He made this statement warning of the growing problems in our society as we tamper with gender identity, confusing young developing children and teenagers with unclear guidance in the area of sexuality. We are living in difficult days. And let me warn you parents right now, let me warn you young people, hours and hours and hours and hours of sitting and gaming and watching video will destroy your mind and it's a tool of the enemy. We are the most addicted nation in the world today. Billy Graham warned this years ago. Billy Graham warned, he was quoting years ago, a couple decades ago, of the danger of America in the, in the area of drug use. And he said this, he said, I'm afraid we'll be so hooked to drugs that a nation will take us but without firing a shot. And you know it's true. And this city bears evidence today what drugs are doing to cities all across this country today. His father comes with a son. His son is demon-possessed. He's at the end of his rope. And his son is broken. It's sad. You know, if you look at this passage, look at 16, 17, and 18. In verse 16, Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration. He said, what are you arguing about? He asked, why are you arguing? A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son. Notice this, that neither the religious leaders nor the nine disciples answered Jesus. They're embarrassed. At the same time, everybody looked this way. We believe that the face of Jesus after the Mount of Transfiguration, you remember it was glistening. It was glowing like Moses when he came down off, the, uh, off of Mount Sinai. The crowd runs to him. And he says, what are you arguing about? What, what's the problem here? The father, this father, and I believe he comes holding his son Chuck Swindoll said, said this in his commentary. He said the father of the afflicted boy dismissed both sides of the theological debate. You see, the nine disciples and the religious leaders, they were having a theological argument. How many churches today are fighting, infighting in churches? How many Christians can't get along anymore? My friend, let me tell you something. We should be of one accord within the body of Christ. And if we're not, there's a spiritual problem. 
There is no prejudice in God's house, in God's family, right? We're all the same. Billy Graham made this statement years ago, and Billy Graham stood his ground many times. He went to other countries in South Africa. He went and held a crusade in South Africa, and he spoke against apartheid, and he said, if I can't have those barriers down and black and white come together, and we won't have a convention, we won't have a conference, we won't have a crusade at all. And the government of South Africa backed down, and he had a great great revival there in Jackson Mississippi in the 1970s he did the same thing to the city of Jackson and I remember it affected my life there's no room this father Chuck Swindoll's right it wasn't a theological debate it wasn't about the people being able to get along it was about a son who needed help I warned parents last week of the danger today of drugs and alcohol, gambling, pornography, addiction, and all the things that young people are facing today. My friend, the church needs to come together. We're, we're at a time like we've never been before. We don't have time to be prejudiced. We don't have time to be partisan politics, arguing over what party we're a part of. My friend, Republican or Democrat, neither one can heal this land. We need a fresh anointing of God's Holy Spirit. We need these pulpits to flame with righteousness. Swindoll went on to make this, say, this, this statement. He said this father came out of the crowd when Jesus said, What's going on here? Why are you debating? What are you arguing about? Nine disciples were embarrassed and ashamed. The religious high muckety mucks, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they were shutted up because, let me tell you, they didn't want to debate Christ. But all of a sudden, the dad comes with his son, his broken son. I don't know if he, I don't know how old the boy was. I don't know if he was had him around his shoulder, bringing him out of that crowd. He said, I brought my son to your disciples to be healed, and they could not. Wow. I remember one time years ago, Ledge was a grown man, and I took, we had, uh, I, I think Alicia, I can't remember what, we met them at the uh, hospital. And um, we walked in, and there was nobody there. Now, this wasn't one of the main hospitals, so this was one out in the suburbs. And, uh, I went in there, I couldn't find Ledge, and Ledge was collapsed, literally collapsed in there by a toilet in a public bath bathroom. He was just laid out, he was so sick. And here I was trying to pick him up, and I got so angry, and I'll never forget this. I walked to the ER door, and I could hear them behind the door having a party. And man, I literally just about kicked that door down. When they finally opened that door, I walked in there. Man, I was so angry. I looked at the doctor and the nurses. I looked at all those people. I said, my son is in the bathroom. Get somebody in there now. And my friend, the party was over. I'm afraid too many churches today are having a party while the world is dying and going to hell. greatest threat to you and I as a Christian is that we become preoccupied with trivial non-essentials that make no difference in the heart of God. 
His father was broken. He was hurting. He's in a spiritual battle for the soul of his son. He describes in vivid detail. In the Greek language, he says this. When this demon, he's looking at Jesus. He said, Jesus, when this demon seizes him, it literally in the Greek says it tears, it rips at him. You remember the demonic in Mark chapter 5 where he cut himself? That's exactly what the demon will do. It's exactly what he'll do. And according to, we don't have time, but in Mark chapter 3, well, take a, take a left and look. Mark chapter 3, verse 15. Watch this. Mark chapter 3, verse 15. Just go back to the left. It says here, and watch this, in Mark chapter 3, verse 15, and to have authority to do what? To drive out demons. Jesus gave the 12 the power and the authority to do what? Say it with me. To what? Drive out demons. Now, take a right from there. Look at Mark chapter 6, verse 13. Did they do it? Look at Mark chapter 6, verse 13. They what? They drove out many what? Demons. And anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Listen, in fact, the Bible says this. The, the believer, the follower of Christ is not afraid of the enemy. We're not afraid of the devil. The devil doesn't scare me. In fact, the Bible tells me this, Submit therefore unto God, resist the devil. And who, who does the running? The devil does run. I don't run. Now, I'm not resisting him in my strength. I'm resisting him as I'm in the power and the direction of God's Holy Spirit. I'm using the word of God to speak to the enemy. Get thee behind me, Satan. All things are possible for him who believes. I'm standing against the enemy in the full spiritual armor of Christ. But what happened to these disciples? He gave them the power. They'd done it in the past. What went wrong? Luke 18.1, I think, says it all. You don't have to turn there. You know what Jesus said in Luke 18.1? He said, men ought always to pray and never give up. And I think the problem here was is that, man... When, when at the least little bit of resistance, in that moment, they just gave up. They just gave up. You, hey, let me ask you something. You given up? Have you given up? Have you quit praying about something that you need to start all over? You need to start praying again. Because what did we say? What did Jesus say? He said everything is possible to those who believe. This father didn't give up. He comes out of the crowd holding his son. And he tells Jesus, you know what Jesus says? He says, you twisted, unbelieving, perverse generation. It's a picture of what you and I look like without Christ. And boy, I love that. Look in chapter, chapter Mark chapter 9, verse 20 through 22. Watch this, and I'll, I'll end in a few minutes. But look at verse 20. So they brought him, so they brought him, and when the Spirit saw Jesus, don't you love this? It immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground. He rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And my friend, that's what your enemy does when he comes in contact with a Spirit-filled believer. You know, I've been in places, I was in a place, I had a friend of mine die of a massive heart attack, and I went to his home. 
and there were there were a few people there there was a woman I promise you this woman looked evil I have you ever seen somebody you ever felt a presence and you just knew that this person was evil they were almost demonic and listen this woman got out of the car and her eyes locked on Sheila and I and you'd have thought we had some, we you'd have thought we were lepers she got out and she looked at us all the way around as she got around into that home because she was there to talk them out and get to give her some stuff let me tell you your enemy when you're walking in God's Holy Spirit filled with the Holy Spirit listen your enemy you are listen your enemy is no match for a spirit filled believer parent listen to me in fact we don't have time to look but in, in Ephesians chapter 6 where we have the armor of God parents do you know what the chapter starts off with it starts off talking to parents and it ends Paul telling you to be spiritually armed why because parent listen mom dad listen you are the front line against the tools of the enemy protecting your children about uh, protecting immature undiscerning children of what the enemy can do to get into their life you're on the front line you can't afford to you can't afford to put your guard down you want to know what they're reading you want to know what they're watching you want to know what they're listening to you want to know who their heroes are you're plugged into the school you want to know who the teachers are you want to know the teachers names you want the teachers to know you want the coach to know who you are you want everybody to know hey this is my boy this is my daughter I'm watching because I have an enemy and that enemy's doing everything he can. Well, I want you to know, just in closing, I want you to see what Jesus does and what he does not do. Look at verse 21. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? Now, everybody look this way. He never did that. We never have any healing where Jesus put his hand on somebody's shoulder and said, like a doctor... Or like a counselor said, "Would tell me how how long has your son been like this?" We've never seen that. He doesn't do that. He just heals. He doesn't get into a conversation like that. This is unusual. Everybody, listen closely. The reason he did that because this father was so broken, so tired, and so disappointed, and so discouraged by the nine disciples, by the crowd of religious leaders. This, this man was so broken, so discouraged, so tired in his faith. Jesus, you know what he's doing? He's calming him down. Everybody listen. People need you to touch them in a Christ-like way. They need you. Men, in a day when many, when many children don't have a dad, in a day when people, many single moms are out there in the working world, when people are broken and hurting, you know what they need? They need you to put your hand right there and just simply squeeze their shoulder and say, listen, I love you, praying for you. God put you on my heart. I want you to know that. That's what Jesus did. He calmed him. Now watch this conversation here. Watch this. How long has he been like this? What's the dad answer from childhood? So we believe this is probably a teenager or maybe older, maybe in his 20s or 30s. We don't know. How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. Look at verse 22. It's often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. 
because that's your enemy. John 10, 10, everybody listen. Your enemy comes to kill, steal, destroy. Parent, your enemy comes to kill, steal, destroy. Your enemy comes in your marriage to kill, steal, destroy. Your enemy comes into government, into cities. Your enemy comes to do what? To steal, kill, to destroy. That's your enemy. Parent, you can't let your guard down. Not for a moment. But watch what happens here. From childhood, he answered, it throws him into the fire water to kill him. Now watch this. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. You know what he was saying? He's saying, Lord, my faith is tired. This has been 24-7 since he was a boy. And I'm tired, Lord. I'm wore out. I'm just, I, I, I don't know if I can do it anymore, Lord. You ever been there? You ever been in a situation where you just finally looked at him and said, Lord, I don't think I can deal with it anymore. I can't handle it. I'm tired. Hey, let me ask you something. I want you to listen closely. I want you to listen closely to this next bit of conversation, and I want to ask you a question. I'm going to read it, and then I want to ask you a question. Listen, watch. If you can, Jesus said, okay, so Father, in verse 22, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. He's asking Jesus for mercy. Verse 23, what does Jesus say? Hey, everybody look this way. He may have laughed, kind of, if you did. I don't know. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. He that has seen me, Jesus said, has seen the Father. I and the Father are one. The one who literally created the universe in a matter of a picosecond, according to scientists, the one who spread out this universe, listen, is there in bodily form, and I don't blame him for looking at the Father going, if you can, all things are possible if you believe. Now watch what the Father says here. Immediately, verse 24, immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my what? My unbelief. Let me tell you, what does Jesus not do? He doesn't admonish him. He doesn't correct him. He doesn't get on to him. He doesn't say, man, I can't believe that you don't have faith. You mean to tell me that, hey, listen, everybody listen. The father is admitting that he's struggling in his faith. And you and I need to understand something. There are times in our life when the pain and suffering and hurt that we're going through is so heavy on us that we begin to even doubt the love of God. Everybody listen. And we'll even battle at the very deepest elements of our faith, even to the point of saying, well, maybe there's no God at all. And let me tell you, when that happens, you can be rest assured in that moment Satan is right there <laughs> applauding. God will never let you go not in those moments.
God will wrap his arms around you. Jesus didn't admonish him. He didn't get on to him. In fact, he got into gear. And if you don't believe that, John the Baptist, just real quickly, Matthew 11, John the Baptist when he was in prison, the one who said, behold, the Lamb of God who washes away the sins of the world is in prison and he's about to be beheaded. He sent his disciples to Jesus and asked this question, are you the anointed one or should we look for another? And you know what Jesus did in Luke's account? He immediately healed the sick, restored sight to the blind, lame began to walk, deaf began to hear. He raised up the de dead, and then he put on a live performance and then sent him back, John's disciples back to John the Baptist and said, tell him what you just saw. God does not fear your unbelief, your battle when your faith grows tired as long as you say it. He said, Lord, I believe, but help me overcome my belief. And then in conclusion, look at verse 25. When Jesus saw that the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. Don't you love this? Don't you love the way he says it? You, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. Wow, that's authority. Let me tell you, that's authority. There's power in that. You know, I wrote down something, and I'll close with this, just a, something that I wrote last night. I said she was born in 1902. When she was a little girl, her mom died. Her dad killed the man and became a runaway convict. She was married and divorced in the 1920s when uh, to be divorced in the 1920s, society was extremely harsh. She remarried a man who had a drinking problem. She had a total of 10 children. She watched her sons go to World War II to the Korean War. She went through the Great Depression in 1929. Her second husband drank a lot and made her life tough and hard at times. But eventually, she would win him to Christ. In 1971, her 38-year-old son was sick. He had viral pneumonia. He was transferred to VA hospital. She asked me, 15 years old at the time, because the doctor said this is a dangerous disease and it could be that the person who rides with him will get sick. She asked me, and by now this is my grandmother, she asked me at 15 years of age, would I ride with my Uncle Tom? I ended up in the hospital with viral pneumonia. I rode with my uncle. He died 20 minutes after arriving at VA hospital. My grandmother became one of my dearest friends. Her arthritis was like none I've ever seen nowhere. You've seen me. Her hands were just like this, her elbows drawn up. She was completely bent over. She turned sideways to look at us. When I would sit there by her sometimes, she would say, doll baby, before you leave, let me pray for you. And that arthritic hand would be on my head and she would pray over me. When I went to Africa, I wept and cried. I didn't want to tell her goodbye because I knew that I would never see her again and I didn't. Five weeks after I got to Zimbabwe, Africa, as a missionary, she died. But I'll never forget what she said. That arthritic hand, 
combing through my hair as she prayed the last prayer, the last conversation with her, and she said, God, protect him and use him mightily for the kingdom of God. Help him to bring people to Christ. And she prayed down heaven, and I got up, and as I got up off my knees, I started to walk out of that because my mom had all kinds of psychiatric problems. My grandmother in many ways filled the void that my mom, because of her problems, could not fill. And I got ready to walk out of that nursing home. And as I walked out that door, I turned around. And I was my tears were streaming and tears were streaming down her face. And she looked at me and she said, Doll, baby, if I don't see you on this side of the Jordan, I'll see you on the other. You do the will of God. And five weeks later, she went into God's kingdom. And you may say, what made her such a powerful figure in my life. She couldn't go to Africa. She couldn't preach in the countries that I preached in. She couldn't preach in, on Martin Luther King Jr. Day at one of the largest European bases. She couldn't do the things that I did. But my friend, she invested in her grandson and she sent me. But what was the key to her life? Listen, the pain, the suffering, the heartache, the battles seasoned and made her a woman that would affect lives. My friend, when you and I begin to see our pain, our suffering, our heartache through the hand of a God that is bringing you in close to Him, bringing you where you need to be, my friend, He'll do whatever He can do to keep you out of hell. He'll do whatever He has to do. And thank God. Let's stand. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you, and Lord, we love you, and we give you glory. Lord, everything is about you, and we can relate. Many parents in this room, we can relate to this dad. We've all been there at times. We feel the stress and the worry of being a parent. Sometimes, dear Lord, it can be so overwhelming. Sometimes, dear Lord, our faith grows weak. We begin to get tired. One of the most difficult prayers of all is when we cry out on behalf of another person who has a will of their own. And we're saying, God, change that will. Bring that will under whatever you have to do in order to bring them to you. Lord, I pray today for parents. I pray for young parents who are battling in a society, as a friend of mine, Mark Bowman said, seems to be disraveling. When he said that, looking at me across the table, I said, I don't know if society's disraveling or somebody's disraveling society. We have an enemy. Pray for young parents today that they'll keep close to you. Bibles will be open. Dads will have a coffee, a coffee cup and a, and a Bible sitting there by their favorite chair. Mom will have a coffee cup, a Bible left open there on that dining room table. The children will begin to see, as Andy Stanley said of Charles Stanley, he said, I would always see my dad on his knees praying for me. Lord, I pray today for parents, and I pray if there's one here, mom or dad, a son or daughter, somebody here, that right now, Christ, you're dealing with their heart through the power of your Holy Spirit. You're saying this is the day. This is the day to be saved. We're going to have a baptismal service soon. Maybe even this next Sunday. What a powerful thing for somebody to be saved. 
and to be baptized on Easter Sunday. So Lord, I pray today that if there's somebody here who needs to receive Christ, that they'll do that. That they'll come down this aisle and say, Brother Jeff, would you pray with me? I want to ask Jesus to come into my heart. And for whatever decision, may people be willing to make that decision even publicly. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.